Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I get the chance to talk with my good friend, Cody Hoover. Cody and I went to school together at Fresno State. He was getting his MA in literature and I was getting my MA in composition theory. And we worked in the writing center together and took some classes together as well. I guess that's been about eight or so years ago now. I always feel energized about teaching anytime we get the chance to catch up. Cody is one of those people who is always thinking about how to revise his own pedagogical practices and assignments and reimagine how colleges and classrooms can better support students. I actually invited Cody to come on to the podcast because he's taught in so many different institutional contexts, from four-year universities to two-year colleges, and I wanted to get his perspective about teaching writing at different Hispanic-serving institutions, or HSIs, and I also wanted to hear more about how those contexts have helped shape his teaching. In this episode, we talk about Clovis Community College, how he encourages students to write about their identities and communities, embracing and advocating for linguistic diversity, and his experiences as a teacher and student at multiple Hispanic-serving institutions. Cody is an English instructor at Clovis Community College in Fresno, California, where he's taught full-time since 2019. Cody's work in his MA at Fresno State and half-PhD at the University of California, Riverside, was primarily in 19th century studies, though now he focuses on composition and rhetoric since making the move to community college in 2017. Cody's presented at the Conference on College Composition and Communication and various Victorian conferences over the years. Cody, Thanks so much for joining us. Clovis Community College is a Hispanic-serving institution in Central California. Can you talk more about Clovis Community College and your approach to teaching writing? What are some values or practices that help you build a community of learners in the writing classroom? Yeah, Clovis Community College, I'll kind of talk a little bit about the school in general. It's a newer community college It was established fully as a college in 2015, um, within the past five years. It's in Fresno, California. They say we have 13,000 students now, but I think that's like between all the sort of like extension campus stuff and dual enrollment and things like that. So it's a pretty small campus. We have like, (laughs) we have like three buildings on the campus. You know, we're teaching a lot of, a lot of students and our enrollment is always kind of going up, you know, it's still small, which I think is good for, um, like you were kind of saying about um, a community of learners. I think having the small campus really helps with that. A lot of the students in my classes are taking other classes with each other, you know, just because the way their schedules work out and stuff. So in terms of the kind of, you were saying the kind of like environment or community in the classroom, I do a lot of group work and projects in the class. Overall, the sort of like, I guess, philosophy, I'm sort of in general trying to create. My role in especially a composition class, train them and give them like like a set of tools to like question and problematize their identities and their communities. And so that like, you know, not only can they share them within the classroom community, but like then actually like point to issues that exist 
within those communities or you know with the, the kinds of identities that they bring to the classroom so i guess overall like that's the kind of the kind of culture i suppose that i'm trying to instill in the classroom i don't really want to like you know see like you know this percentage of the classroom um you know we're talking about hsis this percentage of the classroom um are like latinx students and so I'm gonna have this specific issue that has to do with the Latinx community in my class as part of you know, the theme that we're working with or whatever, that is like artificial to me and also doesn't like invite students to really you know, share their actual experiences because you're like giving it to them already or telling them like, this is what it is. Because like, you know, for me, like, like I'm half, Latinx. So my experience growing up is like, you know, way different than other people's experiences and stuff. And so it's it's kind of interesting. Like I've been in a lot of classes like as a student where it's like, come on guys, like you all have this experience, but you know, most people don't. Giving students like a set of tools to kind of think through different issues and think through different issues that that they're bringing or different problems that they're bringing to the table. I think that that's sort of my like approach. How do you invite conversations about students' lived experiences in the classroom? Or how do you encourage students to think critically about their own identities and communities? Yeah, in, in my... Um, my first year writing class at Clovis, it's um, it's called English 1A. In that class, I have, I call it a community issue project where, um, you know, we spend a little bit of time, um, the first class session of the, of the unit, uh, talking about just like, what is a community? And also what is an issue or what is a problem? <laughs> and it's always interesting because it's such a hurdle in thinking for students to, to get over trying to understand just like what a community can be and also what an issue can be, <laughs> especially an issue or a problem as more than just like something that some individual has sort of like, you know, everyday problem that they, that they encounter, but something instead that can be seen more of like a systemic problem that like a whole group or a whole community or society can experience. So we spend like the first session of a class talking about that. They first need to identify a community that they're a part of, and it can be literally any community like that they want to talk about. So, you know, it can be your family. Um, and then the next thing is, you know, thinking of what's an issue or a problem that's happening within that community. So it kind of gets them thinking about why is this a problem? You know, what are some of the like material realities that go into trying to solve this problem? What's the history of people trying to solve this problem in the past? I think it's really helpful having them think about that stuff, but then especially when we're doing peer reviews and group work and stuff and like the like exploration of these issues and developing the papers and stuff, because then they get to like share about, you know, what their community is and what the issue is. And most of the time it's like, you know, interesting seeing people just like, I didn't even know that that was a thing or, you know, there's a lot of like learning that happens in those moments because students are finding out about stuff that they've just never been exposed to. So this assignment is one way to examine 
communities and systemic issues. I imagine this kind of work is also driven by an emphasis on valuing linguistic variations or the language habits and patterns students use. What does it look like to embrace and advocate for linguistic diversity at Clovis Community College? Well, I think like what you're saying, in talking and in sharing about these different communities and things like that, you know, there's clearly like a different set of language that they use to talk about those things. And so, I mean, like, to me, like, linguistic diversity and that, that general sort of discussion, especially in the context of a comp class, always goes back to, like, you know, how do you respond to or how do you assess grammar in student writing, right? And so, you know, if, if students are writing about, like, a specific community that they, like, obviously know a lot about, like, we have no place in changing that <laughs> or trying to correct that or anything like that, right? And so I feel like in terms of advocating for it, I think like it's an easier job than a lot of teachers think of it as just like valuing their own linguistic diversity, right? And like, yeah, you know, this is the kind of language that, that you're using to talk about your own community and that is, you know, that's the language that you should be using <laughs> because you're talking about your own community. I think in general too, like um, a way, like an avenue in which we could get into that conversation is some of the like, like fear, anxiety that goes into writing a lot of the time for students. And I think a, a big part of it is just like, they're trying so hard to say things in like the right way, or, you know, they know exactly what they want to say, but like the hang up is just like, how do I actually say it? I don't care how it sounds like, and a big part of that is like free writing and stuff like that. Like just get it down on the page and then we'll, you know, we'll talk about it from there. Nine times out of 10, I feel like when they free write it and just like kind of let it happen, to me, I read it and I'm like, sounds pretty good. This sounds all right. Like there, you know, it wasn't like a huge issue in correctness or anything to begin with. I think like there's just a lot of anxiety about you know, the way that people talk or the way that they write. And that kind of anxiety has been built from years and years and years of students being taught that there is a right way to write. So a specific kind of language is more valuable than others, which is extremely problematic. It, it obviously like gets into so many other issues about just like professional spaces and things like that and the kinds of like standard English that are supposedly accepted in those professional spaces. And, and talking about different communities, we talk about how like, there's like a certain kind of language that you use, right? Like, and there's certain words and like acronyms and stuff and, and abbreviations that people use another, like a different friend community and they have like no clue what you're talking about. And so to me, it's like the same thing. It's like all these different spaces have different like, you know, kinds of language that we use. So you've taught at multiple Hispanic serving institutions and four-year universities and two-year colleges, Fresno State, UC Riverside, Moreno Valley College, Fresno City College, West Hills College, Lemoore, and now Clovis Community College. How have these contexts helped shape your teaching? Well, I guess first, maybe we can talk a little bit about 
like the context of like HSIs because I, I wonder if, because I feel like a lot of schools in California, I feel like almost all of them would be an HSI. I was kind of, you know, poking around and reading about it a little bit. And I, um, I was reading their bylaws <laughs> and I was just curious about like, you know, what does it actually take to be designated as an HSI? Apparently only 25% of your student population needs to be Hispanic, and that can be full-time or part-time students. And I think it really just depends on, like, if the college actually wants to, um, like, apply for the HSI designation. Apparently, <clears throat> you just do that and, um, like, have to have that that certain percentage of, of students who are Hispanic, and then you just, like, pay the yearly dues or whatever. It, it seems like um, a big part of it is like there's a lot of like federal grants that colleges can get through being part of that. But in terms of like, like it, it seems like a very kind of top down thing. It's something that maybe like administrators are concerned about. And like, I, I'm generally like cynical about this stuff in general. And so I'm like, I don't know, it seems like a marketing thing or something or just like something admin care about to get grant money. <laughs> I don't know. Because like on like a student or faculty level, I feel like there isn't anything that really is like different. Maybe those of us who teach at these institutions, especially <clears throat> in somewhere like California or maybe Texas or something like that, maybe we need to do more reflection about what that designation means and also like if it means anything to our students because like for me someone who was a student and a teacher only these kinds of institutions it isn't something that i've thought much about or has even really been anything i've been aware about you know aware of and so kind of like doing a little bit of reading or research about it was the most I've ever learned about it. <clears throat> it is weird to think about like, it has to meet that 25% threshold only. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like it's like a, like a line in a brochure or something like that. And especially in California, um, I feel like there's a, a large tendency for different institutions to do this where it's like, um, oh, we're an HSI, like that kind of checks off our diversity box, you know, so we're all good because, you know, we have this one thing that we can kind of cling on to. And I, I think especially in California, which is such a like liberal state, you have to think about like how much of like a neoliberal state it is, how it constantly is kind of like continuing these different modes of oppression, you know, like non-white students or, or students of color. And so I feel like, you know, again, maybe it's like a cynical thing, but you could almost see that HSI designation as like, is this perhaps like another like tool of systemic oppression where it's like, you know, well, we got the HSI thing. So, you know, we're all good. That's all we need to do. This is my last question, and maybe this is more focused on your experiences as a student. In what ways can Hispanic-serving institutions better support students? I feel like something that is, um, and maybe this is like partly a community college situation, 
you know, being a student and also teaching at Fresno State and UC Riverside, which are universities, definitely a lot more, a lot more like ethnic studies courses, like, you know, Latinx culture and history. At Clovis, we don't really have any of that, of those courses. I actually, like when I was thinking about this last night, I went back and sort of like looked through the catalog to make sure that I wasn't like, you know, just talking out of my ass with this, but <laughs> there's like, I don't know, like just a handful of courses, a Latinx literature course. Um, and I think in like sociology, there's some different courses, but we don't have like an ethnic studies department or, you know, specifically ethnic studies professors or anything like that, you know, universities that are HSIs might have. And so I feel like it's so much of like, what class, like running certain classes that will actually have enrollment, which is true of everywhere, but also the classes have to fulfill most of the time some other um, requirement if the students choose to transfer, right? I think maybe like from um, teaching and being a student at um, Fresno State and UCR, something I've learned is how important those courses are. And so like, kind of like how I've been saying, I'm not even quite sure of how important like the HSI label is, as much as is the institution like fully supporting and funding these courses, <laughs> you know, in, in things like Latinx culture and history and, you know, that sort of stuff. You know, it doesn't surprise me that Clovis Community College is an HSI because it fulfills that that um, like 25% barrier or whatever because of like the kind of funding we have and sort of like, uh, you know, the, the kinds of courses that we offer to fulfill like transfer requirements. We don't have any of those kinds of courses. Like that's a pretty big hole. Um, I taught at Fresno City College, which has kind of like a long history of offering those kinds of courses. So um, I don't know, I, I think like, I guess, you know, just to answer your question, like a lesson that I've learned is that I think it's important most to um, offer those courses. Thanks, Cody. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.